Monday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Welcome back, everybody. It's been a week since we last spoke to you, and things have happened in the world of the Ducks. So we'll get into all of that. Excited for that. Jake, hope you're ready for this one. We've got I am. A, we've, we've got an intriguing show ahead. I think this could go a few different ways. So do I have to call you out already on this podcast? Go for it. I I don't know where this is going, but Do, if you recall last episode, you decided that your your recurring bit was going to be what was the the day the day of the month or the day of the year, whatever that day was, and you've already lost sight of that bit. No commitment from you. No you commitment. Know, you know, I take offense to that because I I did have something lined up, and you did. Now I'm just being gaslit essentially. <laughs> so today. There's there's a lot of things going on today that I want to point out. First off, uh, happy Holi to everybody. Celebration of ancient Hindu colors, or it's an ancient Hindu f- festival. Hopefully, I'm not getting that wrong. It's also Lady Gaga's birthday today. It's also, now this is the big one. Well, it might not be big t- to me, at least, because I don't really like this option. But it is National Black Forest Cake Day. Important. Or possibly not important at all. Black for what is a black forest cake? It's like a German chocolate cake, I think. Also, today's the beginning of British summertime, which uh, huh. you know they have they have a lot of rain, a lot of darkness throughout the year. Oh, Jake, I missed the obvious one. What I missed, I missed the obvious one, and I am really hoping, I am sincerely hoping that you celebrated this today and that you upheld it to its fullest possible extent. Do you want to know what what I'm referring to? I mean, I I think I know what you're referring to. Hopefully, it is national. Nope, respect not what I was your, thinking. It is national respect your cat day. That is today's day. I mean, that's every day. I thought you were gonna go with actually a holiday with the fact that it's Passover. But you know, <laughs> is was this just a, a way to bring that up? All this? No, it really wasn't. I actually was trying to loop away into the fact that the NCAA tournament's going on and USC currently is holding a a 17 point lead. If my wait. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, 17. it's also it's also Palm Sunday. It's National Triglycerides Day. I feel like we shouldn't celebrate that, but <laughs> you know, it's also National Weed App- Appreciation Day. But not like, not like you know the the drug, like just weeds, like in your in your garden. So I don't know <laughs> wow. who appre- I don't know who appreciates that either. Who appreciates weeds? Wow, I don't know. You, maybe you... maybe they might serve some kind of botanical purpose. I think though, invasive species can be beneficial. I don't know. Okay. This is just completely and utterly off the I ha- rails. I mean, I had to hold you accountable. You want to assert this bit? <laughs> I actually, I actually didn't. I just planned to do my one bit last week, and then you forced this <laughs> on me. So shame on you for making yeah. me scramble here for some for some holidays that may or may not have offended people. I don't know. I don't know how we'll, this will we'll, land. We'll find out. We'll find oh. out. Oh, and also tomorrow is National Mom and Pop Business Owners Day. That's important. You know, that's really important. So there's a lot to celebrate. There's always something to celebrate if you think about it. Celebrate the fact that the sun came up today. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, you know, for the Ducks, there is a lot to celebrate because they won two games in a row against the St. Louis Blues. They won two out of the four games this week. That's a big step up for them. That is above their normal points percentage on the week. I believe it was their first regulation win in a couple months. It was their first regulation win since, I think, February 11th. Mm-hmm. I'll double-check that really quickly. But I believe it was February 11th, which was a one nothing win against the Vegas Golden Knights. 
And so fitting that their first win in regulation since then was another game where John Gibson absolutely stole the show and was the only reason that they won the game. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, maybe it had something to do with him being rested. Who him, knows? Him not being worn into the ground. But we can't say for sure, Jake, because we don't have enough of a sample size. It's just been one game of him, yeah. you know, having had rest. February 11th. Yes, it was February, uh, February mm-hmm. 11th. And yeah, I, I did a little bit of digging. And if you look at uh, since that game, I believe February 11th it was the last time that John Gibson was significantly above expected. Uh, if you're looking at game logs, there was one game, I believe, where he was like 0.8 or something like that. Or sorry, not 0.8, 0.08 above expected against Minnesota. But the last time he was significantly above expected was that game against Vegas where he was 1.15. And last night, or not last night, this would have been, what was that, uh, Friday night? He was 1.23 uh, goal saved above expected. So uh, not too shocking that the, the regulation wins can only occur when you have a goaltender playing above expected uh, for this Ducks franchise. And not too shocking that I did the quick math uh, on it yesterday. If you look at every start between uh, or the amount of days off that Gibson had between that February 11th game and then the last game prior to injury, he averaged 1.6 days off between games. So basically it was right around one to two games off typically or one to two days off typically between games and not too shocking that he finally finds his game after granted somewhat due to injury, but has some rest finally. Yeah. I also just want to point something out really quickly here before we we go into the the deeper dive here into the nitty gritty. So for those who can't see the, the video portion of this show, Jake is rocking a USC tank top. Yep. And a headband, you know, a, he- a headband. It, it's it, NCAA tournament time. Somebody's got to be rocking. I mean, USC is playing as we speak. They hold a fifty-two to thirty-five lead over Oregon. It's a elite eight berth on on the line. USC hasn't made the elite eight since I was probably like eleven. So definitely <laughs> since before I was there. You know, got to rep my school. Got to rep my school. Well, you didn't get you didn't get into USC as a as a toddler. No, oh, I did not. Sadly, not a, not a child prodigy. Dang. No. Graduated Dang. 2013, got in in two, uh, started in fall 2009. Wow, just dating yourself voluntarily. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Not not the move I would expect. Um, okay, <laughs> maybe we're just waffling here to avoid talking about this. Week. I don't, I don't know. I do think that one place I would like to start, and maybe you disagree with this. The Ducks made a trade this week, and I they feel did. Like, and I feel like it kind of bears the the bulk of this or it deserves the bulk of this conversation because trades don't happen that often. And I don't want to say it was this hugely consequential trade, but it, it was somewhat noteworthy. It was somewhat no- noteworthy. I mean, it was two guys that were second round picks in the same exact draft uh, taken. Let me double check, but I believe it was like 15 picks away from each other um, at the end of it all. Uh, 12 picks actually between when Volkov was taken in the, at, uh, was taken and Antoine Morand. And so the deal ended up being, uh, Alexander Volkov, I have no idea why I keep wanting to call him Anton, no clue why, but Alexander Volkov traded for Antoine Morand and a conditional 2023 seventh round pick. The conditions on that is basically if the, I believe the Ducks have a current trade where they could be giving up the 2023 seventh round pick. And so if those conditions come through, then it will be a 2024, uh, seventh round pick. So no matter what the Ducks are giving up a seventh round pick, it's just which year it goes in. So it's Miranda in a seventh for Alexander Volkov um, to kind of break down the trade for everyone out there. Uh, Volkov is, I believe, two years older, roughly. 
than Antoine Morand, even though they were taken in the same draft. Uh, Alexander Volkov actually was in his final year of draft eligibility. Um, he was a 20-year-old when he was taken in that draft and instantly came over to North America and actually found some decent success right away. Um, in the 17-18 season in Syracuse, uh, put up 45 points in 75 games. 18-19 put up 48 points in 74 games. And then last year was the first year that he started getting some NHL games, getting nine games uh, throughout the regular season, uh, only ended up getting a, getting one assist and uh, 30 points in 46 games last year for Syracuse. And then this year for Tampa, he has five points in 19 games. Yeah, and, and, so- and he's been mostly a fourth line over there, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't look at that point total and think, oh, oh gosh, this guy's not going to be any good. He has been playing a bit of a limited role there. Yes. I, I think the one point of concern that you might have for him, he's 23 years old. Um, and so uh, he does have some room to grow. But if you look at some RAPM type numbers, it's a lot kind of in the negative portion. And so there is room to grow. But Tampa Bay is a really, really good team. And so for someone to have a negative impact, that that is somewhat concerning overall. You'd want to see someone have much better numbers when they are on a good team than if they're on a bad team. Um, and, and so, because he's just in a better situation, better environment to succeed. And really the only place where he's kind of been able to thrive is actually his finishing, mm-hmm. which is the one place that is kind of not a great place to uh, find yourself because that means that you're getting a bit lucky with your goals that you've scored or goals that you've been on the ice for. And so... Kind of all of this is to say that Volkov is a is a 23-year-old who is, I think, currently an NHLer. Whether he's a good NHLer right now, I don't know if I would go that far. But I think that I'm pretty safe in saying that he is an NHLer as of right now. And so I, the Ducks get a guy that will be on their roster right now. And he could potentially become a middle six type of talent. Um and what they're giving away is more of a skill type of player in Antoine Moran, who, granted, hasn't really been that successful so far during his uh, stretch in the AHL. He only has 22 points in 74 games, so nothing actually near what Volkov was able to do. The concern, I guess, if you're a Ducks fan when looking at Antoine Moran, is he's going to a Tampa Bay Lightning system that thrives in developing these types of talent. I think I was listening to the 31 Thoughts po- uh, podcast and they were talking about how that system is set up with guys that just know the Quebec League and those types of players and really develop those types of players. I mean, you have, I believe, Bo Grew um, is um, Bo Grew is uh, his dad is a coach in Syracuse. And so um, they, they're really known as kind of developing the smaller type of skill talent players. You have Yanni Gord as a guy that's come through there. Braden Points come through there. Now, granted, Point, I think, is a different level of talent. But I think that the one concern that you uh, potentially have is Antoine Rand could go to Tampa and play in Syracuse and really kind of be in a position to thrive and succeed. And I think last episode we were talking about how with development of certain guys, a lot of times it's kind of, it is what it is. If they're going to become a talent, they're going to become a talent. But I think that there is something there for the more fringe type of players. And with that, it's mainly due to opportunity. And so the high-end players are going to get their opportunity no matter what. But I think with a guy like Moran... He needs to be put in the, the the position to succeed, and so I think that he's going to be a guy that is uh, kind of be have that happen in Syracuse, and potentially could become an NHLer for Tampa. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's putting the cart before the horse just a little bit. You know, with Antoine Morand, he hasn't he hasn't shown a ton at the AHL level. I do agree with you though. Like, I I like 
Antoine Moran. I like, you know, his, his mobility, his foot speed. Um, he is a guy who was fairly productive in the QMJHL. I mean, consistently productive. Didn't see the kind of increase in his productivity, though, though throughout his junior career that you would maybe like to see as a guy gets older in that league. But regardless, had a nice junior career. Didn't really translate to the AHL and has struggled this season. And we know how much the Ducks value points in their evaluation process. He has six points in 21 games this season, which, uh, you know, it's it's not great. But I think, like you were saying, maybe he wasn't in a position to succeed. Regardless, I think that however you slice this, Alex, Alexander Volkov has a greater chance of being becoming an NHLer right now than Antoine Moran does. If you look at different models, like, for example, one interesting thing I saw today on Twitter was a model that Elite Prospects uses um, from Jeremy Davis, who I would recommend you check out. He has his own model, kind of like the one we talk about with Byron Bader, uh, which gives you kind of like the expected outcomes for for a player. And, you know, essentially, I don't have the full breakdown of the nuts and bolts of that model, but essentially there's a pretty good chance that Volkov will be an NHL or it's around 70%, whereas with Moran, that number is lower. So just looking at their skill sets, though, I did watch a bit of Volkov's games this season, and you can see why the Ducks like him. He's a bigger guy. He skates decently well, has some okay north-south speed. He's got good defensive uh, IQ, I would say. Doesn't have a ton of skill, which is something that maybe if you're someone who wants this team to have an injection of talent, you're a bit disappointed by. But I I do think that even if you are somewhat pessimistic that the that Moran will go over there and, and become something that he wasn't tracking to be with Anaheim, I still think the Ducks got a decent quality player for their lineup, a younger guy and a guy who is probably going to remain pretty cheap. He's an RFA this summer. And I, I won't imagine that he's going to break the bank, especially with his point totals this season. Yeah. Uh, so our good buddy, John, uh, from the or creator, everything behind Defend the Nest, uh, follows the goals, chimed in in our Twitch chat saying, uh, Morand was a very, very good penalty killer and drove the play yeah. uh, well, even though his numbers don't indicate that, uh, and thinks that maybe he had become expendable mainly because of uh, Bo Gru has progressed well, faster as a forward. Well, and the other thing is, you know, I mean, it, it, it kind of sucks to say this, but teams, if, if you're a guy like an Antoine Moran who is 5'10", who is a little bit on the smaller side, and you don't bring that offensive value Teams have a harder time, I think, valuing that kind of player because they they think, well, we have a bigger guy who can do the same job, who's maybe a little younger. And whether that's fair or not fair, I don't know. There are people on different sides of that argument, people that I think are pretty smart. So we'll have to see. I think that we are overplaying a little bit the Moran side of this. Like as I, like I said before, I like Antoine Moran. I think that he could have become something with the yeah. Duck. But I think he probably he might have become an Alexander Volkov type player. You know, yeah. I, I don't know if I don't know if the skill was really translating. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it'll happen. And I, I hope it does for him, honestly, because Tampa Bay is such a great system to be a part of. Um, I think he'll get every opportunity there. But I I like the yeah. Volkov ad for the Ducks. I, I like this trade. I think that they they did something that it's not sexy, but they traded uncertainty for more certainty and yeah. a guy who will play. And there's just there's just nothing wrong with that. And I feel like a lot of the anger towards this trade uh, when it broke four days ago was that, well, the Ducks didn't they didn't address the central issue of their team. They didn't get the the big piece. They didn't get that kind of home run talent. And it's like, well, not every trade is going to be like that. And it's OK to make trades. on So the 
yes. Yeah, so so let me just jump in briefly. So real quick, first off, uh, before I, I touch on that, one inter- fun th- or fun note about the this trade specifically is that uh, there had been word coming out of Elliot Freeman or Elliot Freeman had found out about Volkov going to the Ducks for a pick and a prospect. And for a while, no one knew who the prospect was or what the pick was because the mum was the word on it because the goals were playing at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And they did not want to have to pull Antoine Morand out of the game. So the trade was not finalized until after the game. And no one was releasing that it was Morand being traded so he wouldn't catch wind while he's on the bench or no one would catch wind. And so he ends up scoring the empty net goal uh, for the goals in that game and then comes off the ice and finds out he gets traded. So kind of a a little interesting note there. As for what you were saying, I I think the the main issue there that I have personally is I think this trade overall is a win for the Ducks. I I think it's one that, that they get the better side of it. I think more likely than not, they got the NHL out of it. I don't know if Antoine Moran's really going to become that. And so I think at the end of the day, they, they end up winning the trade because of that. Mm-hmm. I think the issue is, is that the, the actual impact on the Ducks is marginal. I think even though they won the trade, the, the impact to, to improve the team doesn't actually help that much. It helps, but not significantly. And I think that in the grand scheme of things, sure, you do need these trades to help you you win. I think the frustration from my perspective is that these are essentially all of the types of trades that we've gotten of late. The The majority of the trades Bob Murray's made over the last couple of years have been in this ilk, trading younger type of player on the fringes for a similar type of player, maybe maybe one that's better or things like that, but at the end of the day, one that has very marginal impact, one on the fringes completely. I've said shuffling deck chairs a lot. This is not that, as you and I have discussed many times. <laughs> as you have fought me on hard. I guess I, I guess I convinced you. Maybe, but this, this, this is, I think that. the better way to describe this is this is a trade on the fringes. And so I think if you, we look back and this is just a footnote trade in the grand scheme of things in terms of this deadline, and maybe it's one we look back on in a couple of years as being one where Volkov is a significant piece for the Ducks by that point in time. But I think at, by the time the, the uh, season's over and the deadline's passed and we look back, if the Volkov trade is one that stands out because there just weren't that many trades. I think that's an issue. If there are more trades that happen at the deadline that push this team forward through the rebuild, then sure, this one's fine. But it it depends on where this thing goes. I think as of right now, with this being the only trade that's happening, I think in the vacuum of this trade, it's fine. But in the big picture, it is concerning. I think if we, in the next week or two, the deadline is, what, two weeks from tomorrow is when the trade deadline is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if there is a Raquel trade, if there's all these other trades and this is just the first of a bunch, then I think it's fine. No issues. Like it, it makes the team better. It's on the fringes, but it's not really one that's going to impact a lot this year. If we look back and this is the only trade of this trade deadline, <laughs> I think that's a big issue. Okay. But let's just deal with the information that we have right now. Agreed. Agreed. Let's, let's, I just okay. want I just wanted to lay it out there. And and I'm not trying to like move the goalposts around. I I agree that when a trade happens, you have to consider it within the context, within the bigger context, within the context of the team and where mm-hmm. it's headed and where it's been. And I think the Ducks have screwed up trades like these before. They have made these kind of like for like trades or look, maybe more like the the so called shuffling the deck chairs. Look at Dan- how they're handling Ganton Heinen right now. Yeah, like Danton Heinen for Nick Ritchie at the time. You know, we were kind of so-so on it. I think I was maybe okay with it because of Heinen being a fine player, but I wasn't 
I, I just didn't understand the logic of trading a Nick Ritchie because he was already good for the team. And I know that there are people who just will never agree with that. And that's, that's perfectly fine. Have it your way, but I'll have it my way. And I think that he, he helped that team. Now, what the Ducks just did here is they flipped a guy in Moran who hadn't played for them yet, who was kind of a guy who was learning and, and finding his way in the AHL, who may one day get there. There are people who definitely like him for a guy in Alexander Volkov who who is there, who is an NHL player, might not be a great one, but has the potential to become a decent NHL player. And that 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 checks out. That logic checks out. I think that for the rebuild, you're bringing in a younger guy who's a little more polished, who's a little more there. You're not really giving up much potential. So it's just a good trade. And yeah, it is a bit of a nickel and dime type trade. I, I totally agree with that and appreciate that. But look, you got to get these right as well if you're going to yes. make them. Yes, agreed, agreed. And Was I it think a move that... that needed to be made, quote unquote? No, maybe not. But you still got just a little bit better. And if you can hit on these types of trades consistently, then that adds up. Yeah, and I think it's one that doesn't necessarily move the needle, but I mean, we'll see. I mean, there, like you said, there are people that think Volkov could be a really good player. Yeah, like J.D. Burke, for example, who's yeah. the editor-in-chief at Elite Prospects, or an AP ringside, sorry, who, you know, we love that site. We've used their draft guide heavily, is really high on Alexander Volkov and thinks he could drive a line. And I find that interesting because when I watch Volkov, I don't see a lot of skill there. But I do see a guy who does understand where to be, fills lanes, back checks, back pressure, that kind of thing. And that has that can have value to a team. And if the skill can come along at all, then you have a very interesting player. I just don't know if the Ducks are necessarily the team to bring that out of a guy. <laughs> yeah, and here's my one other thing, and we, this will kind of be a nice little transition to the games from this week. <laughs> I don't really know how much I trust. and I mean, maybe as I'm thinking this through, I was going to say, I don't know how much I necessarily trust Dallas Aikens to, to have a new guy come in and essentially put him in a role to succeed, seeing as he really hasn't done that with a whole lot of players, put them into positions to succeed. And the only times that players are done or that happens to players when they actually score and it's actually production driven and not on ice play driven. And we've seen that with Troy Terry now with Dallas Aikens singing his praises. Now that he scored, even though I love now that, like now, now that his agent whispered to the media, uh, do you really do you think that plays a part in it at all? Uh we can't rule it out. <laughs> I was just I view it as it's purely production based. Well, well no, yeah. So I, I think that him getting the initial opportunity to get back yeah. in the lineup, there may have been some outside pressure there. But now that the points are there, knowing that this is the ducks primary evaluation metric, uh, then yeah, it makes sense. So yeah, yeah. like Terry has earned the confidence now, but Man, did you see some of the quotes from Aikens today? Or I guess it was from yesterday about Terry. Yeah, it it's baffling. It, it, yeah. it I, I feel like I've used that word so much this season. It, it's <laughs> the best word I've got for. You're just you're just perennially baffled. But yeah, like no, <laughs> I have baffled. a I have a running tweet at this point in time, a running <laughs> a running gimmick where the lineup comes out and I just tweet out every single game. Dallas Aikens finds a way to surprise me every single time. It is legitimately <laughs> impressive at this point in time how much he like makes changes to the lineup in a way that just is suboptimal. The fact yeah. that he scratched Trevor Zegras today, like it, it the fact that he's continuing to roll with 11 forwards and 7D even though Jamie Drysdale uh wasn't playing due to the injury. There's just so many things about just that so many things that he's done that just they don't make any logical sense. The like if you try to make up the logical reason for it, 
you find yourself like jumping through hoops to get there and it, it yeah. it's it's bizarre and well, so kind of get... th- th- there are people who will try to justify as a oh yeah oh yeah i mean adam henrique the waiver the 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 send down all oh, was God. a motivational tactic for it was him. all and just he... one big motivational tactic well i mean so akins had this to say about terry yesterday at yesterday's practice he said after saying how terry is you know is their most improved player this year which i think is kind of fair although he's not that dissimilar from who he's been. He said he used to be a guy I'd make sure that we would protect late in periods. Wasn't a chance I'd get him on the ice in the last five or six minutes of a period. That's greatly changed now. It's like there's just so many things wrong with that statement. First off, uh, why this need to protect guys? Like, and oh, also, yeah, yeah. D- does Dallas Akins think that like the game changes in the last five minutes? Like, is there something that just magically changes about the sport of hockey? depending on the, the amount of time left on this on the clock like the risk of being scored on is actually the same throughout the game whether it's yeah. at five minutes or at 15 minutes a scoring a chance against is still a scoring chance against so it's just funny how like he he compartmentalizes that those last five minutes as only a guy like Derek grant you know can be trusted in those minutes yeah and like i'm looking at some of uh, adam henrique's early games from the season he had a rough first four games of the season, and that was when things were kind of really struggling. Just to kind of disprove this this quote this narrative well, wanna, that, that's coming. Do you want to talk about today's game since it's the most recent? Sure, but real quick on this, okay, okay. Adam Henrique. Well, well, it plays into the Henrique is why I brought it. Up. Adam Henrique after the first game of the season or first four games of the season where he was uh, th- sub thirty five percent expected goals four percentage in all those games was highly above 50% in basically every game from that point on leading up to him being wavered. There were a couple games where he was lower, uh, small sample size with time on ice and things like that. I think one of those games was the game that he was scratched for or was uh, benched in. Um, but he like, he's been perfectly fine up until the strap uh, up until being waived. And it's not as if that all, basically the only difference between pre waiver and post waiver is production. Yeah. And, yeah, and like, exactly. And here's the thing. We all know goal scoring streaky. We all know guys go through slumps. There's a reason why we don't, an NHL season isn't 20 games typically. Like, it's because guys get hot and they score over a 20 game stretch and then it falls off. Like, it's bizarre to me how much small sample size theater the Ducks coaching staff buys into. Well, not just the staff, like this whole franchise, like the the whole front office that they, that they buy into it. Um, yeah, well, let's uh, let's talk about today's game, just since it is the most recent. It is yep. the the freshest in people's minds, and I guess maybe we can work our way back. I don't know. Yeah, uh, let's but, do it that way. But the Ducks did win 3-2 to two today, and some noteworthy things going into this game. So on Friday, Jamie Drysdale sustained kind of an awkward hit. He His feet kind of slipped out from underneath him using the splits, and he got hit up high. And he did practice. Uh, he did practice yesterday in a in a lighter practice, and I think he was actually available to play today. He was a healthy scratch, but I think that I think the Ducks just wanted to keep him out of this series just because of the quote unquote physicality of it and and how feisty that these games can get. Um, so he was kept out. Trevor Zegras was scratched today, which you know wasn't too surprising given how I mean Dallas Aikens kind of. Kind of lit up Trevor Zegers in his press conference well, yesterday. Let me ask this: Has Trevor Z- has Trevor Zegers played in any back to backs this season? He has not. And tomorrow there is a game, and yes. I I think that that could be could be a a, a part of it. But um, when you look at 
when you look at the way that they the, the way that he talked about him yesterday, it did seem like there was some performance element to it. It wasn't just purely like a schedule thing because he said he had a rough game. He said he had a rough game on Friday. He said he insinuated that Tr- Trevor Zegras isn't all the way prepared for the NHL. Like he he kind of just threw him under the bus, if you're asking me. Now, maybe I'm I'm not the best person to ask, but it wasn't too surprising when you saw Zegras what was scratched. What was surprising and what continues to be surprising, what continues to be baffling, as Jake so eloquently put it, is that this team keeps doing the 11 forward 7D. Why? It makes Why? no sense. So <laughs> in, what was it, in three of the four games this week? Well, they, l- l- t- uh, before before we tear it down, let's at okay. least, is there a case for it? Is there a case to be made for this? The case for it is this. The fact that you think that you run a better chance with having an extra defenseman on your roster because you have a better set of, or better seventh defenseman than you do uh 12th forward and being basically jumbling up your forward lines and not having line consistency is a fine thing for you to for you to for you to have happen to your team if you can end up having seven defensemen out there that make your team better and especially if you have a guy where you're maybe you're trying to limit his minutes a little bit the other thing is maybe you have a defenseman like a what the ducks did with Corbinian Holzer your years back where you end up uh, playing a, a four or a defenseman at forward every once in a while. And so you're able to have that flexibility. So anytime the fourth line goes out, you send out the seventh defenseman with them as, as your forward. And then you can also have them play defense when you want to. And so I, I think that's part of it. I do wonder how much of th- this is something I'm working through right now in my head, figuring out is, I wonder how much of it is is penalty kill, because I think that the Ducks aren't comfortable having Walensky or Drysdale typically out there on the penalty kill, and so they want to get the seventh defenseman who would be uh, on the left side, what would have been not tonight but the night before in Ben Hutton, getting him there to be able to have another defenseman that they're more comfortable with on the penalty kill. Here's a thought. Mm-hmm. Just play your six best defenseman. Yep. That, and, so and, and just you, get over it. Did, did you notice how much like <laughs> yeah, how many hoops I, I, I had to jump through you, you, to be able to try get to some sort of logical conclusion? Well, yeah, and like the thing is that could be a reason, and that reason could even be true, but that reason is still not valid to me because it, oh yeah, d- it does still hamper your team. And look, I know, I know that that this is kind of just bad luck, and this is out of the out of the coach's control. But in two of the games where the Ducks have had 11 forwards, they've sustained an, an injury up front. And it's if you're already at 11 forwards and now you're down to 10, that is far worse than if you were at five defensemen having six to start with, right? I think I'm pretty, yeah. I, I did this math earlier and I think the percentage well, work out. I, or, or having 11 forwards and six defensemen. Like 11 forwards yeah. and six defensemen is better than 10 and 10 and seven. Like yeah. it's just, and, and so, and so this, and, and this was the biggest concern coming out of this game, despite the fact that the ducks won is that Ricard Raquel sustained a very nasty fall. And he, I mean, essentially he was just kind of minding his own business away from the play, skating down ice and uh, Kyle Clifford just lost an edge skating near him and slipped out and just took Raquel's legs out from underneath him. And, Raquel fell flat on his back on the ice, and it appeared that his head may have collided with the ice. Regardless, if it wasn't full-on head contact, there was at least partial head contact, and he looked badly shaken up. He was not only was he down for a while, but the you know the I mean, two guys had to help him off. He was you know his legs you know if you if you watch fighting at all like UFC or boxing, you could tell his legs were kind of given out from underneath him. Like it was, 
it was hard to watch, honestly. Like it was yeah. very, it was very concerning. Now maybe it'll all be fine, but I mean, he, hope, yeah, I, hope. And I don't want to speculate too much, but like if there's no concussion there, I would, I would actually be shocked. Yeah, hopefully it's not that bad. Hopefully it was held out for precautionary reasons. Hopefully all, all is. Oh, well. it wasn't I, precautionary. I mean, it, it was precautionary. No, I yes, <laughs> I, no, no, no. I'm saying hopefully that's the case, but most likely, ho- it, it. Oh, it's if not, he gets it, held out. Yeah, that they held him out of the game. So, um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's scary. I mean, it was a scary moment. Um, it's also, I mean, just purely talking about it from the Ducks' perspective, it, it's also scary because of uh, the fact that Ricard Raquel was the best trade chip for the Ducks. And well, and that's the thing is that you don't like you have to be kind of careful when you talk about it this way. But yep. it is it is just part of the reality that yep. Ricard Raquel is a guy that we know they have. You know, it's a guy that we know that they have at least been shopping or that they're talking to teams with and him being just completely out like this does or not completely out because we don't know that yet, but him being banged up like this could potentially throw a massive wrench into their plans and that could affect the future of the team. So it's just it's just kind of a disaster, but we don't we don't know that for sure yet. I mean, we don't have any updates, but man, just seeing the way he went down, seeing the way he came off, I would just be shocked if there isn't at least some significance there. And by the time you're listening to this, uh, we might, <laughs> I mean, well, you might already know. <laughs> we will, you will probably will know at least with the fact that uh, the ducks are playing tomorrow and, or as if you're listening, I mean, to there's just no way he plays t- t- Monday night. Like probably it just, not. It feels very, very unlikely. Yeah. Probably um, not. Yeah. And we don't have any confirmation from, from anybody on but his status. So let, let's jump into the game. So, I mean, yes, seven forwards, 11 D or sorry, seven D 11 forwards really doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, it really shuffles your, your lineup. It, it basically goes beer league with, <laughs> with your forward lines. The fact that you're, you're rotating a winger throughout, if you want to do it that way, or you're just not playing a lineup. And so you're, you're expending more energy. And the other thing is, and this is something that I hadn't thought about till right now. The Ducks are playing in back-to-back games. Mm-hmm. So, like, why would playing 11 forward 7D be the reasonable thing to do on the front end of a back-to-back? Like, all you're going to do and is tire out your forwards by having them play significantly more minutes than they're used to, and then they're going to have to then fly to Denver in the mm-hmm. high altitude. Yep. Play in the high altitude. Like, the Ducks are going to look gassed tomorrow. Like, it's going to happen. Expect that to happen. So, mm-hmm. I mean... And that's the thing. And the player, first off, you know that people are going to call out the players for it. You mm-hmm. know that it's going to be a situation where the players are like, they don't have energy. They're not playing hard enough. They don't have heart, all this stuff. And it's like, no, the coach put them in a position to fail with it. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, I don't, I'm not really seeing any confirmation on, on, you know, Ra- Raquel. I'm just kind of searching a little bit more here. It, apparently he was in the locker room after the game was, was talking to people. So at least there's that. Um, and, so another thing from the from Elliot Tiford here of the Orange County Register is that part of Zegers being scratched tonight was so Danton Heinen could play, which uh, and this was something Dallas Aiken said, which I don't know if we've already discussed that here. If, I don't think we have. Not yet. Together. But that also seems odd. Right. Why does it have to be one or the other? Um, play both. What? Yeah. Play, play both. both. I mean, that, that seems like an option. I'm pretty sure that they said that just to give a reason. I think if you kind of read between the lines, I just don't think that they wanted Zegris in this game. I thought that they, they probably think that he really struggled on Friday. Um, and then he is expected to return on Monday if Raquel can't play, which is also a weird line because 
was he just not going to come back otherwise if this hadn't happened? Anyway, so um, let's yeah. jump into the game a bit. Anthony Stollars ended up getting the start in the game, which that is, uh, the, that is the story. That is the yes. big story of this game is Anthony Stollars. Yes, because John Gibson, as it came out, uh, was hurt with an upper body injury, and so significant that they decided to play Anthony Stollars as compared to Ryan Miller. Um, maybe a sign that Dallas Aikens finally is understanding that Ryan Miller is a little bit past the or on the downhill now and is not that great anymore. And he really should start looking at what he has in Stolars. And I mean, early on Stolars kind of looked a little bit shaky. I think, uh, had some weird rebounds, did a good job of clearing them once they were, uh, basically in front of him, but he kind of had some weird rebounds in weird situations. And so the ducks ended up actually getting down early in this game two nothing. One was on a really nice tip by Ryan O'Reilly in front and then one was on a penalty kill a early perfect, on. Perfect one-timer from Tarasenko. Perfect one-timer from Tarasenko. Yanni Hockenpah, I think, had a bit, a little bit of a rough go of it in the first period. Had some bad turnovers in the offensive zone. Was kind of all over the place a little bit defensively. Took the, the penalty. The, ven- the vendetta continues. Yep. Took the penalty to uh, put the Ducks on the penalty kill in that game. Or uh, right there. And so... Um, yeah, and so Anthony Solars ended up, I think, really keeping the Ducks in this game, though. Because, I mean... Let me put it this. I don't think the Ducks played a good game tonight. No, today. no, they, they really didn't. They got hemmed into their zone a lot. Uh, they were just kind of playing that sitting back style. Now, you could ask yourself how much of that is fatigue and only having 10 forwards available to you. And I would say maybe it does. Uh, but we have seen the Ducks play like this with the fully healthy lineup before. Um, and, you know, and it is kind of funny that you know, despite having seven defensemen available to you, you still are just awful defensively. Like there's just something about that that just kind of cracks me up. You can only throw so many defensemen at a problem. Um, but the Ducks did get some nice contributions from their veterans, the, the the so-called disappointing veterans. I mean, Cam Fowler picked up his third goal of the game on a really nice play, a zone entry. Yeah, of the season. Yeah, Brian Getzloff and uh, Max Jones entering the offensive zone. Fowler with a nice finish. And then in the third period, I mean, this was a really nice play from Adam Henrique. Another nice little feed from Jones on his backhand. And then Henrique dances around his defender and finishes it off on his backhand in front, just all alone. And that would take it to overtime. And Anthony Stolarz, who had basically allowed the Ducks to survive the last five to ten minutes of the third period, just stopping everything in sight. Josh Manson passes it back to him because the Ducks are trying to reset and Stolarz just rifles it back up the ice to Manson, who dances his way into the zone and scores on the backhand. So, fun end to the game if you're a Ducks fan. I mean, it was it, it was an entertaining game, but I don't think that I just don't think the Ducks played well at yeah, all. Yeah, and I mean, this is what happens in hockey. I think it was. I mean, the Blues. Let, let's be honest here. The Blues aren't this powerhouse team. They're that not that good. I mean, no, no. They're they're actually closer to the Ducks than a lot of people think at five on five in terms of expected goal models and. Um, the other thing to note is that the Ducks actually had a couple really good games against the Blues in some of their losses earlier on in the season. And so, I mean, this is kind of what happens. You'll have some games that you end up losing that you should win, and you win some games that you should lose. And so I would say that this may have been a little bit of a regret, regression to the mean for that. But mm-hmm. the make uh, if, if we're evaluating this team on the whole, this is not a good game. I mean, the Ducks ended up losing the expected goal battle, battle 1.87 to 1.49 at 5v5 on 5. They lost the scoring chance battle. They lost the high danger chance battle. 
They are actually, sorry. They actually had more high dangers, eight to seven. And then Corsi four, they, they lost that battle. And so they mm-hmm. were on the, the wrong end. They did have some nice stretches where it was looking really rough for a little period of time. And then they had some nice chances that, that went their way that really kind of got it a little bit back to even, but the blues at the end of the game looked like they were going to score the game winning goal late on. And the ducks just held on to survive with Anthony Stolarz really standing tall at the end for them. And so I, I think if you want a good takeaway from this game, obviously the Josh Manson goal is nice. There's a whole lot of things that you, you could yeah. maybe look for a positive. I think Danton Heinen looked okay uh, in his return. I mean, Heinen's a guy that really should just be playing every night. I mean, he's <laughs> such a good, like, I, I truly don't understand how it's gotten to this point. Like, I mean, granted tonight was not great for him. 40 or 18% expected no, goals for percentage, he but was kind of, he was kind of all over the place because but, I think, mm-hmm. I was going to say, that's what happens when you play 11 forward 7D. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing with Heinen that I could see why coaches don't value him is because he does tend to break up. Like if you watch him, he'll break up plays in the defensive zone. He'll break up plays in the, in the neutral zone. He'll, he'll carry the puck back up the ice into the, into the opponent's territory, but he doesn't have like the highest success rate on his passing, his shooting. Like he's not the most skilled player, but what the, I think the coaches miss is that he gets those opportunities quite often because he's doing his job on the other end in the two other zones. And I think that they're judging kind of the end result more than the overall process, which is supposedly a thing that coaches don't do, right? Yeah. They, don't, they, they look at the process, but actually maybe they don't. Um, yeah. And so I think I could, I could kind of see why. And look, the numbers don't look great for him tonight. I will say, though, you know, the numbers are awesome for tonight. Who? Once, once again. Troy Terry, 63.53 expected goals for percentage and looked every bit as good as those numbers would indicate. I think that he, you know, just he looks like maybe this is a bit of conjecture, a bit of uh, narrative street, but he just looks like an everyday player now. Like there's just but if, now that you're hearing it from the coaching staff, now that you're hearing it from the actual organization that he is a part of the he, that he's essentially a part of the team now, I, I think that he's taken off like he's taken off in a big way and he's putting up absurd numbers like from the underlying perspective and even with the production and even for him i think this is a bit of a level that we haven't totally I was seen gonna, i was gonna ask do you think it's that different i think that he does look better i think the minnesota yeah. i think the minnesota series he he looked better than he had the the rest of the season but i don't know if it's this massive no, jump that the coaching staff has made no, it's not. No, it's not this massive jump, but it is pretty noticeable just in terms of like how consistent it is. Like he is, he's not really having those games where you're scratching your head. Um, and he was having a couple of those this in the beginning of the season. Of course, I would argue that it, those shouldn't like those shouldn't overshadow the other good games that he has. Right. Um, regardless, all this to say, however you want to slice the the apple, he's just playing really well. He's one of the best players in this team. And it's just awesome to see that he's getting recognized for it by his actual coach. Yeah. And, you know, from a selfish perspective, we've been beating this drum for a, about a year now. And it's nice to be proven right. It, it feels good. It's nice to know this, this, that my eye for talent isn't completely off. Yeah. Like it's, it's just, it's nice to know that you're on the right track, that you're yeah. not completely missing. Yep, and, you know the, and, the bigger picture, and I, I think the the big positive. I think this is where I was going to go with it was the fact that I think Anthony Solers looked like a viable option as a backup for the Ducks next season. Yeah. I think that that is a now you don't want to judge everything off of one game. We were just giving the the Ducks management and Ducks coaching staff a hard time at small sample yeah. size theater, <laughs> so you don't want to do that. But I think that 
if you're looking for positive signs, that is a positive sign that Anthony Stoller could be a viable option as a backup next year. Now, in order if you need to give him more games to find out if he actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and I'm going to put on my, my goalie goalie guild hat here for a second, whatever Go that for looks it. like. I thought that he, I thought that he, just the way he was moving in the net, just very, very economical with his movements, right? And you hear that a lot. What does that actually mean? Just not a lot of slippage in his game. When he was in that crease, just it felt like his movements were precise. He wasn't just swimming out of the crease. He wasn't getting caught out of position. Uh, he wasn't playing like Ryan Miller has the last little bit. And he is a pretty big guy. And look, when a, a big guy can play that solid of a technique, it's it can be daunting for the opposing shooters. Now, he didn't have to make these big athletic saves, but I think a lot of shots were just hitting him in the chest because he was in good position. Yep. Now, once he gets tested more, and you saw it in this game, like the the, the tougher shots, like the Tarasenko shot, the tip shot, like those are going to go in, right? And he's not this kind of world beater, but if he can just be an average backup, if he can just be the Ducks, what's expected of him, that's already a, a, a win for this the team. Du- the Ducks need him realistically to play 30 games next season. So that well, like 20, 20 or 30 games is what they, what well, they need. Who knows Jake, if they would, Jake, why don't you have that debate with John Gibson about having oh. the backup play 30 games? Can I why just not- say this? There was that well, quote. There was that quote from Dallas Akins. It was after the game on Friday, Eric Stevens had asked uh, Dallas Akins if, if this is a sign that he should rest John Gibson more. And Dallas Akins basically said like, I get where you're going with this, but he's like, you try to argue with John Gibson about playing time. And it's like, He's like part of Dallas Akins' job is <laughs> managing his players. And I don't care if he's a franchise player as a or the the franchise cornerstone as a goalie, you need to be able to manage his minutes to get the best out of him because here's the thing. Playing him more now not only makes him worse now as we saw from the the minutes that it, or the the data that I kind of looked at with with rest and things like that. So it's not only giving you a subpar on-ice product now, it's hurting him in the future also. So it's hurting the franchise in the future because you're adding more wear and tear to his body. And mm-hmm. so it there there is legitimately like no benefit to the Ducks now or in the future to play him as much as you've played him. And it is on the coaching staff to sit down with John Gibson and explain that to him and lay it out for him in that way saying, hey, when you have this rest, you end up playing better. We are going to rest you more so you can be better for us in the long term so that you can be better for this franchise so you'll be there for this franchise. And, I mean, it's it's not rocket science. I say this so much, but this isn't that hard. Yeah, it's not even like high school chemistry. It's 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 just like don't play your starting goalie too much. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that that was a rant. That was a rant. That and was I'm, a rant. I'm loving the comment from Dalton Keys in our Twitch chat. Go off, King. Thank you. Thank Go you. Go off, King. Thank you. Thank you. So, I think before we jump into some of the other games, I think it's time for uh, for we're, a word. We're, we're 45 minutes deep. I don't know how that just happened. Yeah, I think it's time for a word from our sponsor. So, this tournament season, take care of your hair and uh, other areas with the best tools for the job. We're talking about our sponsors, Manscaped, the global leaders in grooming from head to toe. When the clock winds down in March... Be clutch and avoid the upset with the Manscaped Performance Package to keep all your hair and other areas tamed. 
Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the Manscaped movement and start taking care of your balls today with 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com and using the code CTP for our exclusive offer. So, Felix, I mean, the NCAA tournament's going on right now. USC currently has an 80-66 to lead with 1 minute 23 seconds left uh, in this game. So, come on, Trojans, finish it off. But your bracket isn't supposed to be perfect. But with the Manscaped Performance Package, you can be confident that your nose, air, and nose, ear, and uh, private area, uh, private areas are. Uh, the Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle and number one overall seed this season. So, included in this package is the Weed Whacker for you, which I have to say, it, yeah, it is you, a. No- how do you feel about long nose and ear hair? Well, I can tell you that I was actually told, right? Tell us a funny nose hair, ear hair story. I mean, I had one lined up the, uh, right before this show, uh, my wife told me, she's like, your nose hair is looking long. You need to go use your, your, uh, your manscaped weed whacker before the podcast so that it's looking nice and fresh on the show. So my nose hair has been freshly trimmed just for this show, well, also, and it if, worked if out you, perfectly. If you don't have the weed whacker, you may have to pull your nose hair out. And let me tell you, as oh, that's who, the worst. As someone who has done this, it's awful. I, I legit cry after. Same. Like, Same. There's just no other possible reaction. It's miserable. So get the weed whacker. Don't don't do what we do. Don't yank your nose hairs out and get that yeah. weed whacker. It, it's proprietary skin pro, uh, proprietary skin safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Look, fellas, seventy nine percent of partners polled admitted uh, the long nose hair is a major turnoff. So why not use the best tools for the job here? And my wife would definitely be included in that. Also included in the bundle is the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, uh, the best trimmer on the market for your balls, butt, and body. I almost, I, I thought that said balls, butt, and booty. I was like, that that's a little That would redundant. be redundant. That would be a it little is, bit... The lawnmower, the 3.0 is, to me, the, the central piece here. The, the piece de resistance, you might say. It just works really well. I mean, the... The technology we're talking about earlier with the skin safe, like I am someone who when I use just like a normal, awful non manscaped trimmer, like I get really bad irritation. And I I can say 100% I do not get that with the lawnmower. And I appreciate that. So thank you, Manscaped. Yeah, thank you for that. And so also as part of uh, their performance package, you'll also get two free gifts, their Manscaped boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Uh, The boxers are very, very nice. They're comfortable. Um, Talk about comfort. Yeah, they, they are they are some of my favorites. Um, and their mop wipes are great. And so uh, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. So thank you, Manscaped, for making all of our holes look sexy during the dance. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code CTP. When things get hairy, make sure to call on Manscaped in clutch time. And speaking of clutch time, USC looks like they're about to close this thing out. 28.9 seconds left, 82-68 lead. Looks like uh, USC and UCLA could be on a collision course. In the final four, if wow. they USC is facing Gonzaga now in the Elite Eight, UCLA is going to be playing Michigan in the Elite Eight. Um, this is going to be fun, and it's also going to be miserable for my household because my wife is a UCLA alumni and I'm a USC alumni. Yeah, you you have that that rivalry going. Um, 
I'm just loving the commentary, by the way, in in our Twitch chat about your your read there about your ad read. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that is a good point, O Dog eighty one. That it is National Weed Appreciation Day, but that's specifically for um like you know weeds in your garden, not not the weeds in in our noses and ears. So anyway, hope hopefully that I didn't want to offend the National Weed Appreciation Day Society. Wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> So thank hey, you, Manscaped. We're, we're, we're an inclusive podcast. What can I say? USC uh, won. USC did win now. Don't care. I'm happy. Don't care. So one of the, one of the Ducks that played today won. Yes. Yes. Don't. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Good one. Good one, Jake. Good one. Good one, I, Randy. I, I was proud of that one, but that good was, one, yeah, Randy. that seems like a good one, Randy moment. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but you were, you were on a good tilt there with the, the rant. I know. Guy. I thought I was going to have a rant tonight. I, I thought I did, but I, I think I've just mellowed out. I think you you took all the rant energy. <laughs> what was the rant going to be on? What was the rant going to be on? Well, you know, every time you tweet these days, you just get pushback on different things. You get people stalking down like a thread that they're not even a part of just to make a point, a gotcha point. So <laughs> it just it kind of set me off for a bit. But I think, you know, had a nice had a nice Italian sandwich from my local deli uh, before this. So. Just kind of mellowed me out. No problems. Life's good. There you go. So <laughs> time to move on to the game before this one, which was the game on Friday night where the Ducks ended up picking up the 4-1 to win. And, oh, the Twitter trolls were out for me that night because, <laughs> once again, prior to the game, Dallas Akins went with 11 forwards, 7-D, decided to play for some reason. Can <laughs> can you tell me what, what Andy Wilinski has done to get into the lineup for multiple games here. Well, can you ask me what he's done? And can you also ask me what Co- Cody Curran like has to do? Like these are yeah. the two competing questions. Uh, well, Andy Walensky, you know, he's just a longtime AHL favorite of Dallas Akins. That's the only explanation I have. It, there's just a personal connection there. And it's a bond that is just never going to be broken. I mean, what What's shocking is in that game, we actually got, uh, we actually got Jacob Larson being scratched for the f- healthy scratch for the first time this season. And Andy Walensky stayed in the lineup for, I cannot like the fact that they, they ha- continue to go with 11 forward seven D while scratching Larson is just yeah. like, it, well, and also one, one thing we should know is that Larson was, at, you know, the, all the guys that were in COVID protocol during the week came out of it. And yes, so he was available. Yeah, he was available. Um, and in this game, Sam Steele does it again. Fourth goal of the season. It, wait, was that his fourth? <laughs> it was his fourth. Do I mean, wanna... I, I don't know how many he's actually scored himself, if that's what you're getting at. One. He scored one. Because I know, I remember for a fact, he scored one in San Jose that went off of a defender. He scored another one, I think it was LA maybe. I can't remember yeah, fully. But, it, he scored but, another one that went off Jake, someone else. He's, he's producing. And then in this game, the puck legitimately gets shot off of him, off of his skate by Silverberg and into the back of the net. I'm not sure he knew anything about it. So, yeah, Sam Steele, uh, Sam Steele, goal-scoring specialist right there. Are but we, I'm, Here's a question I just want to Are we too ask. harsh? Are we too are harsh? We, yeah, are we too harsh on Sam Steele? No. Are, you, you don't think so? So, the only spot where I think we might be too harsh is I did a little bit of a deep dive this week on some of the... Like, mold- his, his numbers, his RAPM charts are not terrible they're not good but they're not like there's worse there's worse on this team yes i i think the issue is is i think in his current role as a fourth liner he's fine 
I, I think that that's where he deserves to be right now. Yeah, like if he just stays in this role and like does Dallas Akins get some credit for finally coming to this realization? Sure, sure. We'll we'll throw him that bone, but there's still plenty to pick out there. So overall, I mean, with the rest of the team. Yeah. Um, it, but yeah, it, I mean, the, the Ducks did win this game. It's it's part of their current winning streak. Um, now, is this another game where maybe they weren't necessarily the better team? Correct. D- depends who you ask, right? I mean, they, they got pretty handily outplayed, I would say, in the second and third. Um, and then first period, I guess they, they came out okay. That's where they did their damage. But this was not... This was another kind of low event type game that, you know, I mean, the Ducks managed to win, but it, I think the big story there is John Gibson. I mean, the big story in this game is John Gibson, the fact that Jamie Drysdale two minutes in left the game yep. um, as a result of a hit uh, from Jacob De La Rose, I believe is the yep. guy who, who hit him, but it was more, it wasn't a dirty play. It was just kind of more awkward than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it wasn't and, dirty. And, and so... Um, yeah, John Gibson was absolutely phenomenal in this game. And I mean, he was the main reason this is a game where you look at the score line. It was a four to one final score, but I mean, this was a two to one game, two empty netters late. Uh, this is not one where the ducks dominated at, like the score line would suggest. This was a two, one game with the blues pushing to get the equalizer and the ducks were able to hit the empty net as a result. And so, I mean, this was the the strategy for success early on in this season for the Ducks when they were picking up some wins, rely score a couple goals early, get a lead, rely on John Gibson, and sit back. And so the funny thing is, is that Dallas Aikens actually acknowledged that strategy um, in some yeah. quotes and said that they can't really do that anymore, even though that's the exact strategy that they did in this game. But and that they did today, arguably. Yeah, and so regardless of of that this was a i think a good game if you're a ducks fan to see john gibson bounce back with a actually above average performance especially with this first game uh being back in the lineup uh for the ducks uh after being hurt for a little bit of time and so concerning obviously with drysdale going out but um good news on him afterwards with the fact that uh he was able to take part in practice and uh, be able to move forward from that. So, I mean, this was the first game the Ducks won, I think, against the Blues this season. I think they were 0-4 going into this game. And obviously, like you said, this was the first regulation win since February 11th for the mm-hmm. Ducks. And so, big news there, but I don't know if I would necessarily read into this game as kind of the the game that the, the Ducks decided to finally play this fantastic style game. But yeah, so what people were coming at me for was essentially... Saying eleven forward seventy is not a great look, and wow, and all this kind of stuff, and they were like, "Wow, well, yeah. the ducks, the ducks won. They played this complete game. This was not a complete." Yeah, game. and and that's the funny thing is that I've I've already seen people say, "Well, look, they've won both games, and they're doing it this way, so clearly it must work." I mean, I think they're winning despite this approach. I don't think this approach is anywhere near the reason that they're winning. Uh, if anything, it's it's making these games harder to win. You know, so the fact that they've won them is is more impressive just from that sense. Um, yeah, I don't really have a ton of takeaways from this game. I don't I mean, either. Did you think did you think that Trevor Zegris played as awfully as Dallas Akins made it out to be? I guess that's really the only question I would have about um, this game. I mean, I don't think he had a fantastic game, but I don't think he was that negative. I mean, I I think that the the issue that the issue that Dallas Akins has is that he's 
he's stuck in this mentality, I think. Of... And like Zegras barely played in this game. He played yeah. nine thirty six at five on five, which was only seven more minutes than Drysdale, who left the game. <laughs> Fire Carlisle, by the way, says they're winning games because NHL teams don't lose seventeen in a row unless you're the Sabers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there you but go. the the thing on Zegris is maybe he's not he didn't play his best game ever, and he's had some up and down games throughout the season. He's had some games where you can see the the world uh, world beating level of skill, and he shows it entire shifts. Sometimes it's only a shift or two. But here's the thing: Dallas Aikens, what he had a quote saying he you said he it wasn't his best game. The writing was on the wall. Him getting a game off, different things like that. But. Here's the issue here right now is that, and especially with this game, with him getting 936 of ice time at even strength, this is a lost season. Mm-hmm. No one on that coaching staff should believe that this season they can make the playoffs. They're mm-hmm. like, it's, it's, do it's they? just, it, but like, it's just there's not no way, possible. There's no way they do, right? I don't know. I Who mean, I, 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 I actually kind of hope not. And I know people think, oh, you should always have someone who's willing to, fight to the bitter end but like come on like we're, we're past the bitter end like, like yeah like like this is you know custer's last stand is over like the, the battle has been lost yeah and uh, so mm-hmm. I, I mean Dal- dalton key says dallas hakins has started using the rebuild world word um yeah, they and, and all so have. even and, Bob and Murray, so who, you, who said it wasn't part of his vocabulary yeah, by the way turns which, out it which, is which is like if that is where you're at then why not just play him like play him give him minutes like stop like screwing around with it play him this Uh-oh. is stupid this is stupid rant alert i half rant like it's stupid it's stupid to to do this stop playing games stop playing games with this kid that's the future of the franchise yeah. play him or don't play him if you don't play him send him to the ahl where he's gonna play if it, he's it gonna actually, be on the nhl play him it, it does feel like this is becoming kind of like a waste of time a yeah. little bit like he needs reps he needs to play yeah and if you're just gonna do this so that, you know, Derek Grant can get his 15 minutes so that Sam Steele can get his minutes. Like, it's just, this is actually kind of a waste. Um, I mean, you could argue even the even this limited usage in the NHL is worth it. Look, and this is the thing. Like, we're not here saying that Trevor Zegras has been awesome every game or that he's this kind of infallible player. There's definitely been moments, there's definitely been games where he hasn't been that good, but that is all kind of part of the learning process. Yep. And and Dallas Higgins even said that today. Like Dallas Higgins is not like completely out of touch with reality here. It's just his view of how to I guess how to teach these lessons is to take him out of the game completely. And I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I just don't like like we like we've said before on this show. I don't think Dallas Aikens wanted Tev Zegers on this team. I don't think Dallas Aikens thinks he's NHL ready and he just kind of has to make do with what he's got. And, and that's just what it is. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. am I wrong there? Nope. You're not. So, I mean, he even, he even insinuated to, he's like, well, he's riding the roller coaster, which is what happens when you're not totally ready. And it's like, well, <laughs> yep, there you go. You're just saying what we all thought we, what, what we all thought you, you were, how you viewed this player. Yep, um, it, exactly. So uh, that's it, really, I think, for, for that game. The yep. other two games were the, the two games in Minnesota, and we can just kind of briefly touch on them. The Ducks ended up losing both of these games, one of them 2-1, to one, one of them 3-2, uh, to two, and so they ended up losing both those games to the Wild. Uh, the I think the most noteworthy thing from this series was the fact that the Ducks were shorthanded for that second game due to COVID, the fact that I guess there was a... Um, a positive, a false positive test within the Ducks uh, roster, and due to contact tracing, some guys were held out. It was uh, 
uh, Heinen, and the po- false positive, I actually got that information from the Ducks radio broadcast. They mentioned that. Uh, <laughs> so it was Heinen, it was Stolars, it was Hutton, and it was Larson. Yep. And so those were the four that will help, were held out. Lucas Dostal, there you go, John. Pronounced it correctly this time. Uh, got the was you'll, the back. You'll surely revert back. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Was the backup to to Ryan Miller in this game? The Ducks weirdly went with five right-handed D. Uh, yeah. For for some reason, played Andy Walensky instead of Cody Curran, who Cody Curran is Curran is a left-handed <laughs> shot defenseman, and so went five right-handed shot instead of icing at least two left-handed Which shots. I, I don't have an issue with that. Like, I, don't, I don't either, but it's just it, it's odd to me that Cody Curran is this black sheep for the team. I just don't get why he can't get into the lineup. Like That's yeah. the part that, that does baffle the mind a bit. Um, I mean, we should note that so Max Contois scored in the after second being, game. After, we should mention he was scratched in the first game. Yep, was scratched, and I think it was his first scratch of the season. And Correct. I actually kind of was somewhat okay with it. And I know maybe this is going to seem inconsistent, but Max Contois has actually been like terrible defensively this season, like real bad. I mean, if you look at all the numbers, he, you know, when he's out there, the ducks bleed shot attempts against they, they, they bleed uh, expected goals against. And look, he does somewhat make up for it with his offense. Like he's not this net negative, but he's just not quite there yet defensively. And in the last game that he played before getting scratched, he was, I'm going to say directly responsible for, I think it was the first or second goal against, um, against Arizona and, you know, really bad turnover in the offensive zone. And then just kind of gave up on the back check. Maybe didn't give up so strong, but like he didn't show the full intensity getting back or, or couldn't get back. However you want to frame it. And coaches noticed that stuff. And he got benched for almost the entire second period. He played like two shifts in the second period on Saturday yep. last week. So he was scratched on Monday and the Ducks went 70 because that's what you got to do in those situations. And now we're kind of mixing the two games together. But good on Max Contois, though, to stick it to the coaching staff and uh, and get a goal in his first game back. And I don't think we're going to see him scratched again too many times. I just Pro- think like it was getting to that point, though. Probably like, not. I, I actually didn't mind him being scratched because I felt like with him it was somewhat warranted. Like I think Zegris hasn't had those kind of games where you just yeah. have to take him out, like where he's just but such a negative. I, I guess I come back to what are we trying to accomplish here? Yeah, and look, I mean, I think that what they're trying to accomplish is this sense of accountability, this sense of, hey, you know, when things aren't going great, we're going to just kind of slow things down, have you watch, and and hopefully that'll help. Now, I don't know how much a guy just going in the gym for half the game and then sitting up in the press box or the other half or however they do it. Like, I don't know how much a guy actually benefits from that. Maybe just getting out of the, the, you know, the, the, the bustling pace of the season and just slowing down a little bit that can be beneficial. I actually just don't know how much a guy benefits from being scratched. If the idea is to have him understand the game better, like I put it out there. I think they should spend part of the game just with the video coaches, just like actually be in the room with the nitty gritty, see what they're talking about, see what like they're looking for. Like that would be more beneficial than just sitting up there by yourself or, or getting in a workout, you know, like, like use that opportunity to rest and learn. Yeah. So w- with Max Contois, I just think that's where he's at. Like if you watch his game, he is a good offensive player. He has this ability to find open ice. He has a good shot. He's got a good frame, but defensively, like this has been a theme all year long. Like his reads, that's the biggest thing for me is his reads. Like he just passes it to the other team. He, 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 you can tell that he's thinking almost the right thing, but then the execution isn't there. Cause he, he's not totally sure. I, I, I can't find the exact quote right now, but I, he had a post game quote that really stuck out to me in mm-hmm. terms of Max Comtois. 
Oh, where, the, the, the like, you know, how this how they're going to benefit from this season. Is that? The yeah. One? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I found it very interesting kind of his view on it because it wasn't he didn't take the stance of we need to win now. That wasn't the stance that no, he took. He, he from said it. that they're going to learn from all this and they're going to learn how to win from Correct. losing, essentially. Correct. And I think that that was the first take I've heard from this uh, a young player on this team because yeah, I think even Troy Terry said, like, we need to be winning games now. We need to be mm-hmm. learning to win. And I think Comtois was, I think, the first player to, I think, have the correct mindset for this season. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was really important to hear, I think. I mean, at the end of the yeah. day, it's all talk, and, and but he, it, it was also, interesting. He also hit the post in that game where he scored. So, yeah, like, that's just what he does. And he even said it, like, I'm not going to stop going to the net. <laughs> it's what I've been doing all year. I'm not going to change. Um and so, you know, I, I actually didn't hate that scratch. Like, that's the weird thing with Akins is there are, there are like certain scenarios, certain files, if you want to call them that, that he seems to actually handle well, that he manages well. And there are others where it's just, he just couldn't be more off. So, yeah, and it is what I, it is. So to briefly talk about the, the wild games, like we did with the blues games, I think that these weren't horrible performances uh, from the ducks. They were on definitely, especially the uh, two to one loss. They were on the, the lower side of the the expected goals battle in in both games, honestly, at five on five, and then similarly on the power play in all situations when you look at it. But I mean, at the end of the day, the Ducks didn't get great goaltending from Ryan Miller uh, throughout the the both the games. He was basically exactly as expected uh, throughout both games, and at the end of the day, that wasn't enough for them in in this series to be able to pull out a win. And I mean, it just kind of went to the Ryan Miller had some solid games, like he played fine. But he was expected. He didn't go above and beyond, I think, for the Ducks. It's not as if they lost because of him. But, I mean, mm-hmm. it's the same story with Ryan Miller. I mean, it's the same story with the Ducks goaltending. They're able to win games when the goaltending's excellent and above expected. When the goaltending is just expected, they lose games. It's that simple. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know if that's that controversial. <laughs> I don't know if, the, if, if I'm oversimplifying it, but that's kind of where it is. Yeah. So on that note, I mean, did you have anything else you wanted to address from this week before maybe we start migrating to listener um, questions? The only other thing that we we had from this week, so there were there were two articles on the Athletic that came out. One was from Pierre LeBron, where where he talked to uh, Bob Murray, uh, and not and a, got, not not a whole lot in that article. No, it really felt the the way this article felt to me was basically Pierre LeBron talking to Bob Murray and essentially just reiterating exactly kind of what we've heard from Bob Murray, but almost to just a more national audience because it is uh, Pierre Lebrun. Um, the only, I think of the only thing that to me came out of it of note is the fact that Ryan Getzloff, basically Murray completely poo pooed the idea of trading him basically saying he's happy here. I'm not asking him to waive his no movement. Here's clause. the thing. That, here's the thing, Jake, despite that, despite the fact that this has been routinely shot down by Bob Murray, Eric Stevens wrote an entire article about where could Ryan Getzlav go. So are they so against it or so thinking it's not going to happen? Yeah, I think it's not happening. I think that, that I don't think it's happening either, but I just found it interesting that that article got written because it just seems like if it's, if it's so impossible, which the article did acknowledge, then why exactly is it being written? Even about? being talked know. about. I mean, Bob yeah. Murray, Bob Murray has come out and been pissed at Toronto media for, for drumming up that narrative. So, <laughs> so I, now I, the local media is going to just drum it back up. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so, um, and so I think that's really, I mean, the only other thing was basically Murray said it's quiet, but who knows if Murray's actually being I mean, honest he, there or if he's playing the market. Interest, yeah. Playing yeah, the who, market a bit. Who honestly knows? I mean, there was a, a fan survey that yep. was put up by the athletic, which I mean, I don't think was 
surprising either. Like a lot of people are really pissed about Murray. According to the 694 responses uh, of who is to blame for the Ducks' poor season to date, Bob Murray got 73.5% of the votes. So landslide victory there for Bob Murray. Um, I do find it interesting that Dallas Aikens got 13.7%, and then the players in ownership each got 65 and 6.3% respectively. So some people are frustrated with the ownership, and I – look, I mean, I've – I've debated you and CJ on this a lot, but I think that I, although I think the, the Samuelis are good owners, generally speaking for this team, this is maybe one of those times where you would like to see them just be a bit more involved because like it, it feels like the ship is not really going anywhere fast and no one is really there to, you know, steer it essentially. Yeah. I I think back in the right direction. I think that's fair. My, my counter to that would be, I don't know how much of it you can do necessarily mid-season this year specifically, especially with the coaching staff. The fact that I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to if you fired and and this has been well, my now, stance on firing Dallas. Now Aikens. it feels now it feels like kind of pointless, right? Because it's, yeah. we're just so far along. But I think moving forward, I will be very I will become more critical of them if they don't do anything like in the next year because it just yeah. feels like now is the time you can you can reel this thing back in, but you have you don't have a huge window to do it. Um, another result from that survey, uh, what should the ducks, what decisions should ducks ownership make after the season? 65.5% said part with Bob Murray and Dallas Higgins. Would you agree with that? Is it, yes. do, do both need to go or can you part with just one? Both. Both. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think, you know, if you really want to give Dallas Higgins a chance, uh, under a different kind of a different approach with maybe a bit of a different roster, you can try that, but like, how much more how much more evidence do we need that as you play with your cat Salem in the background? <laughs> I love that she's making her, her scheduled cameo here. She is. She is. She knows. I was just I was just gonna say, like, how much more how much more of a track record do we need on Dallas Aikens to say he might just be not that good of an NHL coach? Well, I think honestly, my bigger point there is I want the GM to be able to have uh have his choice of coaches. Pick who he wants, let him build this team around in the exact fashion that he wants. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the way you got to do it. Just rebuild, just go completely, you know, give that person that new GM a, a blank canvas and go from there. Anything yeah. else st- stick out to you from this survey? No, I, I think that's pretty much it for me on, on the survey. And so, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's basically all of it. Anything else from you? No, I mean, look, we, I feel like we live this survey on a daily basis, just through social media, through Twitter, through our discord channel. So I, a lot of the stuff that I was read on like the responses was it's like, Hey, I've read that before a million times. Yeah. So, so question time. Yeah. Let's uh, we've got about 15 minutes here so we can, we can do a decent amount of questions, I think. Yeah. So, uh, so for those of you watching the, the version of this podcast on YouTube, yes, the, the, uh, video portion does get posted to YouTube after we do the live stream. You can go to youtube.com slash crash the pond. One thing we're really trying to push is to get some more subscribers. I see that we have more viewers than we do subscribers. So if you're watching this video, liking what you're seeing, go hit subscribe. If you watch this otherwhere uh, or in other places, go hit subscribe on YouTube. It helps out a bunch and obviously all your favorite podcast services. But our real fun thing is our Twitch stream. We do do it each and every Sunday at 8 p.m. Except one thing we should probably announce is uh, the draft lottery. So not next weekend, but the weekend after. We will be not. We will not be doing a podcast on Sunday. We are going to be doing it at Monday. 
Monday night at 8 p.m. so that the podcast will be going live after the draft lottery. But if you want to help support the show, uh, you can go to twitch.tv slash crash the pond. You knew about that, Felix. Don't act surprised. Oh. Uh, And uh, go support the show. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime subscription each and every month. It helps support the show more than you can imagine. And you get special emotes in the chat, special badges next to your name. And so we will start getting to some questions. So first off, throw questions in the chat if you've got them. Uh, Add some question in there, and we will start getting to them. So Dalton Keys has a question. Do you think that uh, Trevor Zegers will hit the 25-game NHL mark this season? So Zegers is currently, just for reference, at 15 games. Does he play 10 more? Does he play 10 more? What is is stopping him from playing playing 10 more? Dallas Aikens. (laughs) Well, I guess the question would be how many more back-to-backs do the Ducks have? And, I don't know. And there, there's your answer on how many he's guaranteed to miss. Um, well, my thing with Tre- Trevor Zegers, like, is there going to be a point? Like, I think a, a question to build off of that question, because I think it's part of the answer or part of the potential answer, is will will Trevor Zegers go back to the AHL this season? Is that a, is that a possibility? Because if it is a possibility then I think the 25 NHL games is definitely in doubt as your cat Salem is scaling, scaling your computer. She was walking right in front of my monitor behind the monitor the whole time. And I was trying to get her (laughs) out of there. So got her. That's funny. Um, so what were your question? What was it one more time? Sorry. was dealing with that little fun thing. Um, sorry. I'm dealing with, uh, has anyone here ever used the app Instacart like to do your grocery shopping? (laughs) Do you want to hear a funny we, anecdote? We are just off the rails. Do you want to hear something funny? Sure. I, I know I shouldn't be putting... Maybe this is going to cost us a sponsorship. Who knows? Whatever. So this lady, my, my delivery person, she says she... You know, they send you a chat if the item isn't available. And she says, hey, this item is not available. Which one on this shelf in this picture would you like me to replace it with? And this is the picture she sent me. Just an empty shelf asking me which product yeah. I want to replace it. <laughs> and now just now, and so the ETA for my order was 845. I just asked, what is the ETA? And I got nine with a period. And it's 919 as we speak. So that's my life right now. That's been the kind of day I've had. Sometimes. Uh, um, anyway, yes, but did, yes, does yes. he go back to the AHL? Do you think uh, he goes no. back? No. Yeah, I don't think I don't think so either. I mean, I just think it it seems like they are at least somewhat committed to to having him develop at the NHL level, regardless of how weirdly they're going to go about it. <laughs> but I I I I think he will hit the twenty five game mark. Just to answer uh, Dalton's question there. Yep. And so CJ K Chell asks us, how do you feel about the game tomorrow? They haven't looked too bad against the Avs this season. So. Um, how do you feel about the Ducks versus Avalanche tomorrow? I mean, little preview time. Go ahead and preview it. So, well, I think we'll we will see Jamie Drysdale tomorrow. That seems to be the expectation. Eric Stevens putting that out there. Um, we'll probably see Trevor Zegras. I don't think we'll see Ricard Raquel. And so, with all of that being said, I think it should be a fun lineup for the Ducks. You'll have both you'll have both Jamie in there and Trevor Zegras, and you'll also have. Probably Ryan Miller in net. I mean, I don't, I don't think Stolarz is getting it back to back. Even though, why not? Just go crazy. Um, Ryan Miller in there. The thing is, though, the Ducks are running into 
possibly the best team in the NHL right now in the Colorado Avalanche. They are an absolute buzzsaw. And even though the Ducks have had some success against them this season, like the Avalanche are playing at a different level right now. I mean, mean, the the Avalanche have come up since that time. I mean, if you look at the the games against the Avalanche from basically the the game, the games in January, January and earlier in March, the Ducks did okay. They were in the 40-ish range in terms of expected goals, four percentage, even in the 50% in the very first game. But the last game against the Avalanche, it was at 26% expected goals, four percentage. Like the Avalanche were just at another level. The Avalanche are the best team in the league right now, and I think that they have to be cup favorites as of right now. And so to, to me, that that's kind of the big thing uh, for, for the Ducks looking forward to tomorrow is basically how do they not get run over? Yeah, and like they'll have a fun lineup. Like I, I think that this could be an enjoyable game just from that perspective. But yeah, I, I don't know how it's going to go, especially depending on what kind of Ryan Miller shows up. Because if it's the, been the Ryan Miller that's really struggled at times, then they could, uh, they could, they could be in, in some trouble there. Yeah. So Sean D. Salisbury asks, and I think this is a good question, uh, like a really, really good one. What's the rational goal for the rest of the season for the Ducks with the playoffs being out of the question? Obviously, the rational goal. What do we mean by that? What would be your goal for this Ducks franchise? For just the rest like of the on season? a just like on a day to day basis. I think on an overall level, if you're looking for a goal for them for the rest of the season, something you want to see from them, whether it be a point total hit, whether it want, whether it's uh, however wanna, you want to assume. So if I were in charge, quote unquote, or if I was like the one setting these parameters, by, I, by, by the way, Bob Murray fake GM chimes in, in our Twitch chat saying they're not out of the playoffs. <laughs> so just, just for everyone out there, Bob Murray. Uh, I'm so happy right that we have Bob, Bob Murray in the, in the chat. No, the, the 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 rest of the goal should not be about wins and losses. If anything, it should be about a lot of losses. Um, the the goal should just be to play a solid brand of hockey, to just play a respectable five on five game, to not have these kind of games where you're getting brutally outshot, where you need to rely on your goaltender, to rely on you know, with all due respect to Anthony Stolarz, but a bit of a journeyman to bail you out. Um, I would also really stress play the kids as much as possible. Like make this about them, make this an internal competition who can put up the most points, who can do the best in their respective roles. Like that's what this should be about. That to me is the rational goal is to have the kids and even the veterans just like see what you've got, who you can keep around for the future. I mean, unfortunately I think for the veterans, you're trying to move on from as many of them as possible. But to me, this should be about the kids play the kids and try to just play a respectable brand of hockey. Those are the two goals. Yep. 100% agreed. I'd like to see more games above expected goals. Four percentage, I think, if you're looking for a wins and losses types of thing, obviously playing against the, the, the top end of this division is going to be tough, but I think you would want to see them outplay the Kings, outplay the Sharks, outplay the Coyotes. Yeah, like I, those kind of games. I, and, and the Ducks have, have done that at times. They have done well against the likes of the Kings and Sharks, but make that a habit and not just something that happens every once in a while. Yep, and so uh, uh, Spence Curry thirty says, "How many more games do you think Stolars will get to play this season?" So there are currently, just so you know, twenty one games left in the season. He's obviously not going to play. Are tomorrow. there really? Yeah, Man, twenty games. Twenty games left after fast. tomorrow. Twenty games left after tomorrow. How many games do you think Stolars will get? I don't know. First off, of course, I don't know. But the thing is, I don't know what's going on with John Gibson because he finally came back and now he's hurt again. So. Are they just going to hold him out the rest of the way? I'll go bold. I'll say he plays seven games. I think five. Yeah, I was going to say five, but I didn't want to be a coward. So oh, seven. wow. Oh, wow. Seven. Seven. Okay. 
Um, Bionic Chris uh, said, "Do you guys think we uh, think we'll get a game without? Do you think that we'll get a game without any of the so-called veterans?" It's going to be hard for that to happen because you there's only a certain amount of kids that you have and that yeah. you're going to play. But I I just don't think the Ducks are even willing to to trade all the, their veterans anyway. So I I don't see that happening. Sorry. Yep, agreed. Ginger Wolf said, "We know teams don't tank publicly." And we know the Ducks are pretty tight-lipped about every, uh, literally everything. Is it possible that Murray has full faith in Aikens because he's encouraged him to make terrible line combinations? After tonight, I can't help but think it's on purpose. I don't think it's on purpose. I don't Sorry. either. I, I like, think that I think that Bob Murray is he hates lose. He's come out and said he hates losing. I don't think there's any way that Bob Murray would tell them to ice a, a worse lineup. Yeah, no, th- this is not intentional. Like, if 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 you are going to attribute some intentionality to this, the only thing you can really say is that like there are guys that are being held, like the guys that are being held out are held out for specific reasons, which is that th- the Ducks just don't think they can help them right now. So, yep. And so here's an interesting question uh, from Fire Carlisle said, "Question: How concerning is Jacob Silverberg's lack of production this season? He only has 13 points in 36 games, and still has three more seasons after this one at 5.25 mil. So, you want to start on that one? Uh, I mean, to be quite honest with you, I haven't done that much of a deep dive into his production this season, but I think he's played he's played mostly fine. I mean, the player that he is, just in terms of overall impact, is pretty close to what he's been in the past." I don't think he's a guy who's really ever been that productive anyway. And this is also a season where this team has been pretty snake bitten. I will say this though, despite the fact that he has been very good defensively this season, what has kind of gone down the drain is his ability to generate offense on ice. Like the ducks are not really driving play offensively when he's out there. He's almost looking like a forward version of Yanni Hockenpah, which that is a bit concerning. Um, I still think he's like the, the, the defensive side of it is at least somewhat encouraging just because that's who he's been in the past, but the offense there is the concern. And I just think he is a guy who's really going to depend on who he plays with moving forward. Yeah. And I, you're, you're pretty spot on there looking at some of kind of his underlying numbers. I mean, it, it is somewhat concerning if you look at his, uh, production from the last couple seasons. So over basically nine. 17, 18 through 1920, he averaged about 0.84 to 0.9 ish expected goals per 60 individually, whereas now he's at 0.66. And so his actual his shot shot attempts and shots on goal uh, per 60 are pretty close to where they were, but the the level of uh, or the quality of shots that he's getting has gone down. And as part of that, his on ice production has also taken a bit of a dip. His, his assists, his goals per 60 is down significantly. Points per 60 is down from the past two seasons. So, I mean, part of that is obviously going to be driven in some ways by luck and, and shooting percentage. He's uh, he's shooting at five on five. Yeah, and all, he's shooting you, at 8.82. You wouldn't expect him to produce that highly, though, just based off how he's playing. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I think it's a concern, but I mean... Here's, I think, the issue is that... Well, this what are you was expecting the, the, from this guy? Well, this was the concern when that contract was signed. I mean, it, it like it's not as if I'm going to necessarily get mad. And I think that this is kind of a lot of where my opinion comes from, is that I'm not necessarily mad at Silverberg because he's past his prime. He's past 30 years well, old. They're, yeah, like, th- th- this, this is, is what... Stage- yeah, this is what the back half looks like. You, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to have up and down seasons. And, and you're going to start having the production drops. And that's just necessarily what happens. And I think people kind of... 
people get this blown out of proportion expectation for players that what they are at their peak is what they're going to be able to no. continue doing into yeah, their Jake, 30s. I, I thought the prime was, was you know, 27 and, and onward. I thought that was the prime. Yeah. Have, have I been deceived by you, the people on TV? Yes, yes exactly. You 100% have. <laughs> um, and, and, and so uh, it, it's basically, yeah, it's... I, I don't know. I think there's a concern if you're looking at the overall function of the team and the fact that where he's at on his contract and everything like that in similar fashion as to where Adam Henrique is, there's a concern over that. But the uh, the concern is the drop. And our good friend Ken Pafu, who sometimes I wonder if that's Jacob Silverberg's burner saying, y'all are really trying to make me unsub, aren't you, at this point in time? So, uh, so yeah. So it, it's very uh, frustrating, I think, in terms of the looking at the contract overall, I don't necessarily blame Silverberg for it. It's just, it's what happens, honestly. So, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, so kind of that's it on that topic. I don't know if you have anything else uh, for that. Well, I mean, the concern, it would be concerning that there is, I mean, I will say it is a bit of a concern that the drop off in, in kind of in the, in the terms of driving offense, because, Last season with the Ducks, Jakob Silberg was still a decently positive player when it came to driving offense. Like the Ducks did tend to score when he was on the ice. Now, part of that was a bit luck driven, but they were still driving shot attempts, shot quality, not necessarily there. Um, and, you know, if you go back to two years ago, um, how much do you put on his line? How much do you put on his line? How much do you put on his line? The numbers we're looking at here that are trying to control for that. Yep. So, I just think it is interesting that from a shot quality perspective, he's gone way down from a shot attempt generation perspective. He's still kind of there. And so on, on balance, it's kind of like a zero. Um, so, yeah. 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 And so it, it's, I guess it's a concern for the long term of the, the franchise, but mm-hmm. nece- not necessarily shocking. Let's go with that. Yeah, I mean, look, that that's just this is like you said, this is just how it is. Like older players, their their performances are going to wax and wane and actually his performances have already begun to to wax and wane. So, by the it, way, bon- Bonnie's saying it will be fascinating to see what these gentlemen speak like in 10 years when they are the same age as the players they criticize. I'm pretty sure I'm the same age as Jacob Silverberg. I I think I am at this point in time, which makes me now just feel old and sad about myself that I've uh, now said, no, sorry. He is six months older than me. Yeah. And also like, this isn't personal. Like these are just the facts. Yep. Uh, (laughs) O-Dog81 says, uh, what's your ideal trade deadline result for the Ducks? Uh, I'm pretty sure that that you should know uh, or that that you guys should know, but I'll, I'll reiterate the ideal Trade deadline is the Ducks trade their their veteran players for future assets. Trade Raquel, trade Manson, and potentially yep. trade uh, Lindholm. This is going to piss off Bonnie, but just trade everybody. That's uh, <laughs> trade all the. You veterans. said it. I didn't. I didn't. I, 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 you know, I think I have a decent amount of, of of goodwill of equity with Bonnie to where I can say things like that. You might not, though. On the other hand, I I don't think you should trade absolutely everybody. No, you should. I mean. Would it be the worst thing in the world? I mean, if you can get out of Silverberg, Henrik, Lindholm, yeah, if, the, yes, <laughs> I'm. I would actually. Go. I, I mean, Sean Siebold saying you're trade drunk right now. I'm, am I trade drunk? Possibly. It, it's definitely possible. Uh, <laughs> Jay, Jay Fresh Hockey chimes in. Should the Ducks trade Drysdale for Doughty to compete now? Oh God! And the funny Jay, thing is, why, why, why you got to do that, Jay Fresh, to us? 
Well, the the funny thing is that if you told that to Bob Murray, like I don't think he would just completely dismiss <laughs> it out of hand. Bob Murray would do it. Bob Murray probably thinks Drew Doughty's still good. Bob Murray would probably say, I need to throw in an extra pick there. Who votes for the Norris again? GMs? Or no, not GMs, media. GMs vote for the Vesna. GMs vote for the Vesna. Yeah, so whatever. I mean, mean, look at their talent evaluation on the back end and tell me that that, that he wouldn't think Drew Doughty's still good. The the Theodore trade. The Theodore trade, the Theodore trade. Yep. That's never... like. uh, All right, so... Uh, Jay Fresh now saying, what do they have to add to Raquel to get Dustin Brown and Jonathan Quinn? Why you got to hurt us like this? <laughs> well, specifically hurt me. Specifically hurt me. Zegris and Drysdale uh, first. All right. Lewis X209 said, I feel like we've gotten asked this, but might as well do it again. It's a fun one. Which mm-hmm. hockey arena is a top of your bucket list to see a game in? Uh, Is this too much of a vanilla take, but Madison Square Garden? Haven't been. I mean, for me, it's a very vanilla take. It's the Bell Center. That's not vanilla. That's the correct answer. But I've already been. I've already been to the Bell Center, so that that's not my answer. Uh, no, yeah. no Canadian cities outside of Bell Center. I am interested. I'm in. sorry. Uh, yeah. Di- so all the all the disrespect. All the disrespect. Jay Fresh is just calling out all of the ducks right now. Just, <laughs> just going, just just going <laughs> at it in our chat. Gotta respect it. Shout out to him. One of the best hockey minds. Now is the there. time to contend. It's true. Uh, it's true. Everybody's in their primes. Look, if you're if you're 27 through 32, you're in your prime, according to what I'm being told on on the broadcast every now and again. Uh, according to John uh, or Brian Hayward and John Allers, I almost just butcher or mush their names together. Uh, yeah. Sean Siebel, let's end with this question. By the way, Jay Fresh, good night. Thank you for tuning in. Keep up the awesome work. Uh, Sean Siebel said, "What can the Ducks get for John Gibson?" Ooh, well, see, now you're talking. Now you're, what, what's the expression? Now you're cooking with gas, something like that. Um, anyway. Sure, sure, gaslighter. Wow, going there. I think that counts as gaslighting. Uh, anyway, you can probably get, like, just think think about all the things you want. A, a first-round pick, a really good prospect, maybe another prospect, maybe another pick. Um, you can get a lot for John Gibson, I think. I mean, what is concerning now is this injury resume that's kind of, creeping back up again yeah agreed um let's end with this maybe actually. maybe that, you were wrong after all jake that 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 gibson is injury prone if he plays the M- amount maybe of game, maybe maybe your nemesis was indeed correct i mean if he plays the correct proper amount of games that he should at the end of it all does it matter i don't know i don't know what we're talking about anymore all right let's end with this that's <laughs> a non-hockey question from lewis how do you order your steak uh medium rare is i believe the only correct choice medium rare or rare is the correct choice yeah rare is fine don't Um, be a coward (laughs) i mean i've got nothing against rare i prefer medium rare just because it's a little it's a little easier to eat (laughs) but i will say this when i cook at home and it's rare i don't mind it as much when it's rare at a restaurant i'm a little for whatever reason like maybe it's irrational i'm a little more even like a medium isn't the end of the world to lewis's question yeah blue rare <laughs> just is that just is raw. that just raw yeah it's basically just like you ba- you sear it for like a minute on each side and uh yeah the correct choice is raw and then cook it yourself i'm confused by that 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 is you order a steak from a restaurant raw and then you just take it home and cook why would you do that i don't know ask tony ask jacob silverberg there are i know people who like i, I have a coworker who likes their steak uh well done 
like not even joking you. I'm not saying this like for the meme. Like he actually believes this. And I've fought him on it before and just no. Dedicated to the medium to the well done. It has to be a meme. It has to be for no, the No, it's not. I mean he's he's also not the brightest, so that doesn't help, but uh, you know. Just, as just, evidenced just, as evidence just just called out. What yeah. if he listens to this podcast, Felix? Oh, I mean, him and I banter quite a bit during working hours, so it's it's par for the course. But yeah, medium rare is the correct answer. If I'm at home, I actually cook my steaks a little bit more rare than medium, or than medium rare. I just go four minutes aside, and wherever the wherever the dice roll lands, the dice roll lands. You know, wow, four cast minutes iron, aside, long time. Cast iron pan. I mean, well, if if the steak is perfectly like room temp, like low end room temp, then I'll, I'll do maybe three to three and a half minutes aside. But I like my four minutes aside. It rarely lets me down, and you should try it too. Maybe your steaks will be a little less raw. Fine, fine. <laughs> called just, out. Just, just called out. All right, so I think that's probably going to do it for us tonight. I don't know if you ooh, did. Ooh, if... I had another question. Uh, your favorite cut of steak? Uh, I do. You, my answer is going to be very much a pinky up answer, but it's the filet mignon. Really interesting. Yeah. I don't think that's that pinky up. I think that's kind of a niche niche take. What? Well, I mean, I. My so I'm of two minds on this. I love a great ribeye. A great ribeye is hard to beat, but there are actually a lot of subpar ribeyes, and you have to be careful and watch for those that are like almost too fatty. The most consistent to me, and this is a bit of a vanilla take, is the New York steak. It is very consistent. I want to briefly mention that our viewership has gone up during steak talk. (laughs) People love food. People love food as they should. Um, People saying sirloin. I mean, can't go wrong with that. Filet is great. But a really good, like a really well, high quality, whatever you want to say, for the New York steak, it can be close to like a great ribeye just in, in the, the tenderness because they, see, they, they can have decent marbling too. See, for me, I'm not the biggest fan of, of, the, of a very fatty cut. I like cuts that are a little bit lean. Well, yeah, I think Filet that's Mignon, why I like filet. Filet Mignon is not that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Bonnie, Bonnie's chiming in saying food is greater than trade talk. We, have, we yeah. don't have any trade talk right now. Crash There's nothing. The steak. Crash the steak podcast. I will happily do a stream of us cooking steak. Like because I, I no, actually, I I will not because I will just get made fun of the whole time. I can I can see we could do a stream of me teaching how to cook a steak. I know how to cook a steak. I don't think you I do just, if you're afraid. If you're afraid, a, then that well, means you don't you're not confident. The last time I cooked a steak, I did half on stovetop in a cast iron pan, half in the oven. Did you have a thermometer for your steak? No. Ah, yeah. I based it off a, a, off of nice something roll. I said with a number of times. Th- that is a dice roll. You gotta and, have. And Lewis, by the way, your, obviously, no, no steak sauce, no steak sauce on your steak. If you have yeah. steak sauce on your steak, then then you've done something wrong. Well, if you have like what is it called? A A one. I'm really hoping I don't butcher this. A one, A one steak sauce, chimichurri, chimichurri oh. sauce. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah, something yeah. like that. Well, you know? well, when he says steak sauce, he specifically means A one. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's you know why you need that, right? Because you because, have a well done steak. Yeah, because you have a bad well done steak. Um, so, yeah, don't do it. Don't do that. Don't 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 hurt yourself like that. It's it's not necessary. There's enough pain out there <laughs> G- in the world. G- Ginger Wolf says I'm a grandma with that technique. Really? The steak no. make the, the oven one. Well, that's the um, it's not the is it the reverse sear? It's the no, reverse you see, reverse you, sear. You sear you sear it and then you put it in the oven to finish cooking on the it, inside. It's the it's the double reverse sear. 
you you, you sear and then cook whereas yeah. the reverse sear is you cook and then sear which i find that one really difficult what you should try if you haven't already is sous vide i don't have a sous vide thing so i have one and it is want to let me borrow nice. it i mean sure yeah, Lewis basically is saying that he basically came out with or add, added that question because he wanted to catch us with some bad takes. And <laughs> no, we, have, we, we, we've we passed flexed. the test. We, we Yeah, there are a lot of bad takes that you can find in the, the Crash the Pond Discord for, for the Patreon. We'll get to that in a second. Steak talk is not one that will be a bad take. No, I think I think we've passed the test, but we should probably make our way out here. Yes. It, it's It's been a... <laughs> it's lonely on Bad Take Island. Love that. Uh yeah, no Salem questions. I hey, that's on you guys. I don't ask the questions. I just read them. No one asks Salem questions on this podcast. All right, well guys, I'm gonna start wrapping up here. Thanks everybody for listening, for chiming in. Uh, to everybody, whether it was live or whether you were or you're listening right now in the recorded version. Thanks for for hanging in there. I mean, it's it is kind of baffling to me that we have only 21 games left in the season. It feels like just yesterday where we were dying for it to come back. And, and now it's almost gone. So if you have enjoyed the show today, if you've enjoyed the ride along with us this season, got a few ways to, to support us. So if you go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the pond for a $1 a month, you get access to our Discord chat, which I'm pretty sure we've referred to a bunch of times here on this show. It's a lot of fun. You get to connect with other diehard Ducks fans. And unlike the rest of the internet, it's actually not like a toxic place. People are nice to each other and people just want to have a good time and, and, you know, discuss ideas or just mess around, uh, discuss our different in and out orders, you know, just stuff like that. So that's for a dollar a month for $5 a month. You get access to two bonus episodes. And on those, you know, we talk about different topics like, uh, you know, we've done some that are deep dives about the ducks, about the rest of the NHL rankings, awards talk, but we've also done just totally off script, mandalorian video games you name it uh so if you enjoyed the banter of that of our show i think that you will definitely enjoy uh the bonus episodes now for 15 dollars a month bigger commitment but you get a lot more out of it you get everything that we just discussed but you also get uh two watch alongs a month so two times a month we will actually do a live broadcast of a ducks game we'll give you the youtube link there's a live chat so we'll be able to uh discuss with you there but we'll basically be commentating the game so giving you that alternative feed uh if you are sick of hearing your run-of-the-mill commentary well we can give you i think a a much different take on it so that's at patreon.com slash crash the pond now of course if money is a little tight that's totally understandable there's still plenty of ways to support us that have no cost monetarily um if you search for crash the pond on apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate you to leave us a five-star rating and a review. And we actually got a new review this week. So I'm excited to share it. Jake, are you ready for this? Yes, let's go for it. And I believe this is from actually someone in our Patreon Discord. So shout out to, I believe it's Benjamin. So thank you. Yeah, Ben TH 1997 left this review. Great listen and good hockey insight. I was a casual hockey fan for a long time until about three seasons ago. And listening to this podcast has helped me learn a lot about hockey. I'm not usually an analytics type guy, but I like hearing how Jake Felix and CJ break down the analytics. I would highly recommend this podcast to any Ducks fan. So thank you so much for that, Ben. It does mean a lot. It also does help us out a lot. And that's kind of what we try to do here is, is bridge the gap, right? Because I think for a lot of people, learning the sport can be tricky. Um, it's not like football or basketball where there's plays that you can look for, right? Like just set plays. And I think analytics kind of gives you a tool to, to understand it better, what to look for, what works and what doesn't. And uh, that's 
It's what we strive yeah, for. I that, would say. That, that's exactly what we strive for. And one thing I want to mention is we're currently at 195 Apple Podcast reviews throughout all countries. So that's not just the U.S., but every mm-hmm. country that uh, has Apple and has the ability to leave reviews. So mm-hmm. let's try to get 200. So yeah. if anyone out there has not left a review yet, if you like what you're listening to, anything like that, go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, help us hit break 200. I believe we we have by far the most reviews out of any kind of uh, Ducks-related podcast out there, and I really just want to break 200. Yeah. Smash through that, uh, that threshold. Yeah, let's uh, let's break through. Um, and, now- and, and, and one thing also I want to mention, speaking, because this, this goes perfectly with what you had said uh, right now about what we try to do on this show. Oh. But we we try to kind of bring in new fans, help them out with understanding kind of more analytics, different things like that. Do you recall last episode? How at the very beginning you had said it's uh, Monday is National West Virginia Day or something like that, right? Oh, yeah. I know where so this is going. We, we had a, a YouTube comment right away from Copers30 that said, I'm a new Ducks fan from West Virginia. And after that blatant disrespect, maybe a former Ducks fan from West Virginia. First time listening, you guys are going to be instrumental in me learning hockey. Hope you're ready for that responsibility. I'm ready. I'm ready. We've been, we've been carrying that, that load for, for years now. So no issues there. We got to get out to West Virginia sometime. Just give it a look, give it an honest look. Yeah. After you just straight up disrespected it out of off the top. I need to go on a peacemaking trip to to West Virginia to to quell the masses. You just need to over the loudspeaker, like play exactly what you said, so that you can just no. apologize for it. No, no, that is not the tack that I will take. Um, but so, different ways you could support us: check out Spotify. Jake just brought it up. YouTube.com slash Crash the Pond. Make sure to subscribe there and turn on your notifications so that you know when we post videos and you can see Jake's awesome thumbnails. They are awesome. Um, now you. a couple of other things, last things here, uh, check us out on social media. Jake is on Twitter at reindeer games. 91. I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard at crash. The pond is on Twitter and on Facebook. Lastly here, check out crash the slash shop. We have t-shirts, we have hoodies, we have the eggplant and Jade logo. We have the orange logo. We have orange, black, and white t-shirts, gray, white, and black hoodies. So, you know, it's, it's almost summertime here in Southern California. It kind of felt like it this weekend, to be honest. Got up into the 80s in some areas. But, uh, you know, at night, still a little nippy. Still need that hoodie. So crashthepond.com slash shop. There you go. And when it warms up, you can just take off that hoodie and you've got a nice Crash the Pond t-shirt underneath to look fly in and to let people know that, hey, I am representing the best of the best. The analytically friendly podcast. <laughs> analytically sound podcast our underlying metrics are i think pretty solid yes i I think that we have good underlying metrics metrics (laughs) so on that note guys thanks so much for listening have a great rest of your week i believe oh oh my gosh oh my gosh i am so sorry i forgot this so sorry i forgot this this week big holiday coming up you want to guess what it is uh which one do we want to pick from there's april fools isn't there good friday there's easter sunday yeah, April Fools. That's the one. Ding ding ding. So, giddy up. Get your April Fools jokes ready because uh this this could be an interesting year for April Fools. I think there's a lot of a lot of possibilities here. Anyway, on that note, guys, we will talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.